Have you ever said something or written something, maybe in an email or a text that was taken totally the wrong way? And maybe it caused a problem, maybe a fight in your relationship or a miscommunication with a boss or a coworker or a fellow student, something was misconstrued, or maybe you said or chose the wrong words and the intent of what you actually meant got lost. And certain things were decided about you that just were not true. You didn't mean how it came across or what was actually said. That happens all the time when it comes to race or religion or sexual persuasion or different cultures. And I think we are more divided than ever in this country when it comes to those things because the intent has gotten lost. What we actually mean matters not just what we say. Both matter, but the intent matters more. What do I mean by all of this? I'll explain. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk, stories and observations beyond small talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins. And this morning, no, I take it back. It was yesterday morning. I was watching Facebook Watch, which is Facebook's sort of answer to YouTube. They were trying to get to be as big as YouTube where you can watch all these videos. I don't think it'll ever happen. But sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll click onto that and they have some really interesting videos. And some of my absolute favorite videos are old time TV. Like I used to love sitcoms growing up and even the ones that were from be long before I was born, you know, All in the Family or there's some black and white ones like The Dick Van Dyke Show or I Love Lucy. I watched I Love Lucy, which came out in the 40s. I may be old, but I'm not that old. And I probably have seen every single episode multiple times. Like, I don't think I've ever missed a single episode. I'm pretty sure I've seen them all of I Love Lucy. And I was sort of swiping through Facebook Watch, and this video came up of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Now we have The Tonight Show and it's got Jimmy Kimmel on it. And before that, it was Jay Leno. And before that, it was Johnny Carson. So for those of you who are too young and you're like, who is Johnny Carson? Johnny Carson was the king of late night television. Like the format exists in part because of him. There was a guy before him called uh, named Jack Par. I can't believe I know all this stuff without even researching it. I just, I grew up a latchkey kid, which is somebody who watched television because both of their parents worked. That was just a thing in the 70s and 80s. Um, so I know a lot about old TV. And so Johnny Carson was this huge, huge thing. Like people <clears throat> would watch the news at night and then watch Johnny Carson. And whatever Johnny Carson was talking about was in the news and like hot topics of the day. He was it. 
And so on this Facebook watch, I found a clip of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, and he's interviewing Desi Arnaz. That's Ricky Ricardo from the I Love Lucy show. And when I was, I don't know exactly when he died, but I think he died when I was like mm, 13-ish, 14, 15, somewhere in there. I don't think I, 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 you know what? Let me just look it up here real quick. Um, I'm dying to know. What year did Desi Arnaz die? Let's see. Desi Arnaz died on December 2nd, 1980. Okay, so I was relatively close. He died in 1986. So um, by then I was like, a teenager, a young teenager. And so for me, Desi Arnaz will always be Ricky Ricardo. I never saw him in anything else before, after, or since. He did other things. And when I watched him, or even when any of you, if you watch I Love Lucy, he's like a younger-ish man. I think he was probably in his 30s maybe. And by the time the show ended, was probably in his 40s. So he's always going to remain young in my mind. Anyway, I digress. And I only have one memory of seeing him on Saturday Night Live. He hosted Saturday Night Live. And I saw him as an old guy. And he was smoking. And I remember he actually died, I believe, of cancer of some kind, maybe lung cancer. I could ask the Google, but we won't do that twice in one show. And that was the only time I ever saw him as an old man. And it was kind of weird because to me, he was always young. So in this clip that I found, he's like really old. This must have been right before he died or relatively right before he died. And he's sitting there talking to Johnny on his left. And on his right, you have Bob Hope, who is also an old like vaudeville. For those of you who don't know, I'm not even 100% sure, but it was like a type of performer back in the day. They would like travel the circuit and do a lot of singing and dancing and comedy. And then as that kind of like as television took over, then a lot of the vaudeville performers shifted into doing TV. And Bob Hope was a huge movie star. Huge. He was older. I mean, you can Google these clips. The guy was really talented. When I was a kid, he was just an old guy. And I'm like, even when I was a teenager in my 20s, I'm like, he's old. What do I care about Bob Hope? Bob Hope, because when you're young, you know, most of us old people are just like old people. And you don't see their value because you don't know what they've done or where they've been or who they are. You just dismiss them. I think most of us do that, especially when you're really, really young. I know I did. I know lots of people do. So Bob Hope, huge guy. He used to perform for the troops. He would have like a Bob Hope special that was on in the 80s, like every few years. I never watched it because I dismissed him as an old person. But if you Google Bob Hope, like dancing, tap dancing, singing, he's a really talented guy. So he's sitting on the couch next to Desi Arnaz. So that's a pretty kind of cool sandwich, Desi Arnaz in the center, Johnny Carson on the left, and Bob Hope on the right. And Desi has just written this book. And I didn't know about this, but the book was called A Book. Yes, that's the title. And Johnny kind of jokes with him and asks him, well, why is the book called that? He's like, well, I tossed around all these different, I'm trying to do his accent. I tossed around all these, I can't do his accent. Or I, I guess if I did, it might 
be deemed offensive. So I don't want to offend anybody. I'm good at doing accents, whether it's Southern or New England or British or whatever, but I just want to make sure I'm not offensive. So I'm not going to do the accent. But that kind of leads me into a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. So um, Ricky talks about the title of the book and how there's all these different stories of how he got started. And actually, Johnny Carson says to him, oh, you never, you never lost your, your Spanish accent after all these years, which is kind of interesting to hear because no TV host or any interviewer would ever say that to a Spanish, uh, native Spanish speaker who's a celebrity today. If Selma Hayek, you know, was being interviewed by Jimmy Kimmel and he said, you know, you've never lost your, your Spanish accent, that would be, he'd be canceled. It'd be over for him. Like, it would be like, you are racist. You, uh, how dare you? And people would go nuts. And so when you hear Johnny Carson just lightly discussing that, it kind of like made the hair stand up, you know, I don't really have hair on the back of my neck, but metaphorically, the hair stand up on the back of my neck because it just felt weird. It's like, well, why, why should he lose his accent? You can understand him. He's from Cuba. What difference does it make if he loses his accent? Like that's the time that we're in. That's what I'm, um, I think we've all sort of progressed into and that's how we think, or at least we're told to think. And so it just made me a little uncomfortable. Well, then it gets even worse and I want to play the clip and it's just, I hope it's a little small clip. Let me, let's try to start here. And it's Johnny Carson talking to uh, uh, Desi. And he's saying again about the book. And after he makes the comment about losing his accent or not losing it, he's like, yeah, Desi talks about, yeah, you know, I got started in this business. And he turns to Bob Hope and he's like, you know, tell him, tell him how I got started. Tell me how you really helped me get started in this business. And then we hear Bob Hope speak. And I want you to listen to what Bob Hope says. And then we'll talk about it on the other side of the clip. Here we go. And it's, well, hopefully it'll play well. You know, uh, this, I got a whole chapter in the book about him. And tell him the story about when you gave me the lines, will you? No, we were on the, uh, we, we were on, he was on radio. What year was it? 1957. Lucy called me up and we just lost Stan Kenton, the band, you know, they went somewhere. We had an opening. So Lucy called me and said, put Desi on. So you're all right. Put Desi in this band on. You were on for two years, aren't you? Yeah. And the writers would give uh, Desi a line and he'd walk up uh, to the to the thing and spit all over the microphone and, uh, and a guacamole and fall. <laughs> And uh, that, that was that. So, uh, and they'd cut it and say, and then I'd say, give him a couple of lines. Give this kid a couple of lines, you know. And we'd give him a little balloon. And he'd drop an omelet all over the thing. And so after a while, you know, I'd have to fight him to get, get him to give Des a few lines. Well, and I just want to stop right there. So in short, because it's, you know, it's there's people laughing, so some of the clip kind of gets swallowed, but I think you could hear it. Desi Arnaz basically says Bob Hope needed somebody, and Bob's like, yeah, I Lucille Ball called him up, and he's like, yeah, give him a line. And Desi came out and kind of spit all over the microphone, and all the guacamole fell out. And I heard that, and I'm like, ooh, again, 
that didn't age very well because he's basically saying, well, if you're, you know, a, a Spanish speaker or of Latin descent, if you're singing and all the spit comes out, that's what he's basically saying. You sing, some people sing and lots of spit comes out and it's just what happens. But obviously Bob Hope is playing it up. And that if you're of Latin descent, Spanish speaker, of course you eat food with guacamole on it, which is in today's world, so offensive because the assumption is, oh, well, you know, you're Spanish. That's what you eat. It's like, oh, you're Mexican. You eat tacos. You're black people. You eat chitlins. Like it's just offensive. But he goes on with the rest of the story to say, you know, I essentially liked and saw talent in Desi Arnaz and the powers that be only wanted to give Desi one line. And Bob Hope himself is like, no, this guy is good. This guy is talented. Let's give him more line, more lines. Let's give him more exposure, which helped birth Desi Arnaz's career, which obviously in some way, whether it was a direct line or later down the road, led him to be Ricky Ricardo on I Love Lucy and be beloved by millions and millions of people and many generations alike. And it's interesting because by today's standards, we would just say, well, that guy's racist. You know, Bob Hope assumes because this is a Spanish speaker, he's eating guacamole. How dare he? And he too would be canceled. But you guys heard it. There was this raucous laughter. I think even Desi Arnaz laughed. Now, I don't know if he felt uncomfortable. Sometimes you just laugh along with things when you're uncomfortable. But I think there's a greater point here. Yes, you cannot say that now. But even if you try to hold people from the past by today's standards, when it comes to things that you might be canceled for, whether it's racism, some kind of bigotry, homophobia, whatever it is, we have to look at intent. And that's what's been missing in this these days of cancel culture. Like they do study after study, poll after poll, and nobody likes cancel culture. Not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not the liberals, not the conservatives, not anybody. There's just a small fraction of like Karens and or small faction, I want to say, of Karens and people who just want to, you know, rat out and pick on people and make them feel badly, you know, trolls on social media. The rest of us want people to be held accountable for their actions, but not be canceled or just move on from something. And I think this clip kind of sort of points out the difference because this is a clip from obviously either the 70s or 80s. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was the early 80s. And you can't today say what Bob Hope said then. It would have just be, you know, seen as just like I said, he would have been canceled. It would have been offensive. But we lose the intent because here's a guy who helped create a career or helped assist Desi Arnaz with his career, even though he said this thing that is seemingly unsavory, shall we say, or even perhaps racist. His intent was to make people laugh, but at the same time support his friend, Desi Arnaz. So a white man is supporting a Cuban man. And yet when he says something unsavory, people laughed and they got on with their lives. 
Now, on one hand, we could say, you know, over time, time passes, we learn, we grow, and when we know better, we do better. And that's true. Obviously, if we go back in time, even just to the 80s, I was alive and well in the 80s, I saw what like life was like from a uh, teenager minority perspective. Like we can someday, I'll do a show about what it was like to grow up in Colorado and go to um, my... I, probably talked about this before, but my high school had 4,000 kids and only 30 of us were black. So you want to talk about racial issues? It's not what you think, but they were definitely there. But that's a story for another day. What I want to really hit the head, hit the nail on the head. My husband always makes fun of me for mixing metaphors. Let's see. I want to hit the nail on the head by saying we need to look at intent behind what people actually mean and what they actually do based on their actions and not necessarily always what they say. Because sometimes people say things mindlessly. Sometimes people are thoughtless. Sometimes people are nervous. Sometimes people didn't get the memo or they just don't know what's appropriate. And I think it's not about giving people a pass, but we need to pay attention to their intent. And Bob Hope's intent wasn't to hurt or disparage. It was to make a joke and point out what he'd done for this gentleman. And they obviously had a very positive relationship, whatever that was. Now, today, in 2020, you can't do that. You can't say anything that may be remotely received as racist. And the second nail that I want to hit on the head, besides looking at the intent, which we will look at intent of things, I want to make sure that we also focus on the difference between racist and prejudice slash bias. Somehow, some way, we've just lost that. There's, there's only one box that people are put in. If you say something about another race that just doesn't fit with whatever that race believes is acceptable, you're racist. That's it. There's no if, ands, or buts. You are racist. And if you do that, in my opinion, that word loses power. And it just becomes, okay, so everything's racist, which is a lot of what the Republicans say, and they use it against minorities. But in addition, we all have prejudices and biases, depending on where you grew up or how you were raised or what your parents told you. If you grow up in the middle of Indiana, and I've never, I've only driven through Indiana, I think we saw what we went to South Bend and kind of looked around at, um, what's that university? Oh my gosh, it'll hit me. It's the Fighting Irish Notre Dame. Beautiful campus, like gorgeous. It's just so green breathtakingly beautiful. Okay. So if you're in Indiana and you're living in an area that is predominantly white and then say you're like all excited when you graduate from high school, you want to go to school in New York City for fashion design. And when you get to New York City, New York City is the melting pot 
I mean, you see all shades of black, all shades of brown, all, I mean, I want to say all shades of Asian, but or yellow, but you get the idea. Like there's all different types of people, whether you're Asian, you're Latin, you're black, you're whatever. There's black people from Africa. There's black people from Haiti. There's Asian people from China. There's Asian people from the Philippines. There's Spanish people from Cuba. There's Spanish people from Spain. Like it's just everything. And of course you have white people, white people from England, white people from Texas. It's the melting pot. But if you're that that person who just is drop kicked into a melting pot and you did not grow up in that, no matter what you watched on TV, no matter how much hip hop music you listen to because it's cool and it's trendy, you're probably going to say something unsavory, shall we say, because you have biases, bias, I, you have a bias or several, or you have prejudices because we all do. And I think we need to at least admit that and face the facts and be aware because it is a human condition to have a bias. So let's talk about what a bias actually is is if we're talking about the difference between prejudice and bias i mean we have to start there so let's see when i was a little girl i had a racist teacher and i could say for sure she was racist based on her actions and her words and i've talked about this before she referred to my mom as an n-word and referred to me as the n-word and had told a friend and that kind of came back to us and i always knew she treated me weird but i didn't know what it was because i was a little kid and i didn't understand racism that is a form that is a an example of racism but having a bias is something different or prejudice so because it's easier to say prejudice than it is to say bias i'm going to just say prejudice so if you have prejudices, I don't know how much easier that actually is, but like we all do, we have, we prejudge. You might think something about another race that isn't good, that isn't positive. And that's just part of life's experiences. You see it, you hear it, maybe you say, um, Oh, when I was younger, this happened to me. Like my, my parents had this particular race group, you know, rob them or steal their cars. So you grow up with that sort of in the back of your mind. But when you run your own company, you don't not hire people because they are that race. That would be racism. Having a prejudice, while not great, also is not the same as racism. And when you look at, at our example here of Desi Arnaz, I think it is a bias or a prejudice to assume that every single Latin person would be eating guacamole. Now, is it a stereotype based in probably some truth? Yeah, that's what stereotypes are, you know, based in truth. But not everybody does like guacamole, no matter what your race is. And there's so many things that we as our society have decided you are this. A good example, stepping a little bit a little bit away from race and looking at homophobia would be Chick-fil-A. 
Now, Chick-fil-A, I keep hitting my microphone, I get so riled up. Chick-fil-A is a fast food chicken place with really good chicken sandwiches and waffle fries and homemade lemonade and just, it's delicious and they have really good customer service. Like it's top notch in the fast food industry. And they're throughout the South and here in California. And they're similar to In-N-Out and I don't know what else they have on the East Coast that's close to that. But it's just, it's not like a McDonald's. It's always very clean and they deliver your food to you if you sit there. And the chicken sandwich, they like started the chicken sandwich craze with just pickles and that's it. Anyway, really good. My mouth is watering thinking about it. So I started eating at Chick-fil-A back in the late 90s, early 2000s because I had never heard of it. And they had one, I think, actually I take that back. When I was a kid, I was like probably, I'm going back in time. I think I was like 19 when I had my first Chick-fil-A and this was in Colorado. And I was like, this place is delicious. It was in the mall. I mean, the lemonade can't be beat. It's full of sugar, but it's delicious. And then when I moved to Los Angeles in the late 90s, early 2000s, they had a Chick-fil-A that got built while I was there. And I'm like, yes, Chick-fil-A. I'm so excited. I remember that place from when I lived in Colorado and I was growing up and it was so good. And people started picketing saying, this is a, you know, a hateful company. And this fan here. And um, they they tried to, I think they had uh, Chick-fil-A's owner, the parent owner, wanted to do some brainwashing for gay people and the immersion therapy. They put money towards immersion therapy or some kind of therapy. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but to make gay people not gay, which to me, I, I believe is abusive and a waste of time and unnecessary because I believe you're going to be whatever you're going to be and they don't need to be, I don't know, hypnotized or brainwashed or whatever. And a lot of young people who have gone to those things went against their will, their parents forced them, their church or whatever. That's a whole nother topic. But people started picketing saying this is a hateful restaurant. Don't eat here if you support the gay and lesbian population. And back then, that's what they used to say. And then it became LGB, LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus IA. I mean, there's, there's a lot of letters and I never want to disrespect. So if you eat at Chick-fil-A, you are a homophobe and you hate gay people. And that's what I've heard from straight people who support the cause of anti-Chick-fil-A, and that's what I've heard from gay people that support the cause of Chick-fil-A. And I still eat there, if I'm being completely honest. And I've eaten there for years because the food is good. And I feel guilt because I ask myself, well, hmm, if there was a chicken restaurant, or let's just take it away from that, if there was a burger restaurant that had really good burgers and really good iced tea and delicious curly fries, and they donated money to the KKK, and I knew my white friends ate there, I would be really upset. Now, there is no equivalent because KKK hates gay people too, but mostly they're worried about race. And the people who are for this like anti-gay therapy, they say they're doing it out of love and caring and try to bring them away from the devil and all of that. So it's very different if you do something allegedly out of love, even though it's 
not good than if you're just filled with hatred. But still, that's the most equivalency I can come up with. I know I would be upset. The same way I felt when I'm like, look, Donald Trump is a racist MFer. Like the things he's done, I've talked about it on the show. You can Google it. It's not just calling someone a racist. He's done some racist things. He's done racist actions. He said racist, racist things. That's all I need. And when people vote for him, I used to be like, well, oh, I guess they're racist because they don't care. But again, we need to look at intent. One of my best friends who happens to be white voted for Donald Trump. We don't talk about it anymore. We just can't. But she's not racist, I don't believe. She is one of my best friends. She has all different race of friends for her little kids. And I just don't think she's racist. Now, does she have a bias here or there? Sure, we all do. But it was very easy for me to decide that if you vote for Donald Trump, you don't care about racism. And the truth is that's not true for a large portion of people who vote for Donald Trump. A lot of them are like, look, it doesn't affect me. So they think I personally believe racism affects the entire country. It's just a matter of which side you're on and how it affects you. But you're not guaranteed to be a racist because you vote for Donald Trump. Now, of course, there are some who are, of course. Yes, yes. But the same can be said for Chick-fil-A. You are not necessarily a homophobe if you eat there because you have to look at intent. You know, gay marriage, I'm 100% for it. Love is love. I have friends who are gay. I've actually never known anybody personally who was trans, but I support them, the LGBTQ community. If you want, whatever your pronouns are, whatever you want to be called, I have no problem calling you that. Even if I don't fully understand being fluid, it doesn't matter. If that's what you consider yourself to be, then I respect you and I'm going to call you whatever you ask me to call you. But don't be mad at me if I get it wrong. And my intent is to get it right. Don't be mad at me if I eat a chicken sandwich, but at the same time, I support this whole community and don't have a homophobic bone in my body. It's something that I think we all have to really take a look at, including me. I had to take a look at it and go, you know what? Just because you vote for Donald Trump doesn't make you a racist. You have a different life experience than I do. Racism is at the top of my list of what we should be worried about this country in this country. Whether or not it's number one, probably not, but it's in the top 10. But if you ask most white people, they're like the economy, you know, whatever. I don't know what else. You, you can, gas prices, all these things that I care about as well. But they aren't concerned with racism because it doesn't directly affect them. So it is very easy to paint people with broad strokes and say, you're racist or you're homophobic. But then those words lose their power and we lose the opportunity to get to know certain people or certain groups or to understand where people are coming from. Back to the Bob Hope Desi Arnaz. Again, let's just pretend that they're both still alive and Bob's, Bob Hope said that right now. Like I mentioned, he would be canceled and people would be so disgusted and he would have to go on an apology tour 
And for what? Yes, in a perfect world, no one would say things, and I'm saying unsavory things because there are things that people say that are racist, and there are things that people say that just have a little prejudge in them. To say the guacamole thing, that's bigoted perhaps, but mostly just a prejudicial statement because he's prejudging Desi thinking that's what he eats. I've already hit that nail on the head. But... We lose so much if we decide things about people based on very little evidence or just something they said once or did once when we don't look at their intent. Everyone is raised however they're raised, whatever it is. Me in a very white place in Colorado and for the most part, I had a really happy upbringing for the most part. It had its issues and problems like anybody. My therapist said, you know, everybody, nobody escapes childhood without an unmet need. So whether it's from your parents or from your schooling or whatever. So I, I'm no different. But if somebody says to me, and I've had people say things like this to me, you know, Jody. I don't even see color when I'm around you. It's like you're not even black. Okay. The intent there is to say, I feel a connection with you. I feel like you are like me. I am like you. And that is a beautiful thing. We have a good relationship. But if you say that on a reality TV show or anywhere in the public eye, people are like, what? What are you saying? Are you saying... I'm not black enough and being black is a bad thing. And you can take it a mile from there and just go straight to the land of racism. Now, do I want to hear that? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> no, I don't want to hear that because I am a black female. That is my experience. That is my life. That is my skin color. That's the skin color of my daughter, my parents, my family, not my husband or my stepkids, but still. I don't want to hear somebody say to me, it's like you're not even black. And I've heard that before. It's insulting, but it's not racist. It's just ignorant. It's prejudicial. It's a bias. And I think if we all sort of took a moment to step back away from all of these kinds of things, we would be in a better position. Because it's very easy to just spew hatred and vitriol at somebody who says something like that. Well, it's like you're not even black. Oh, you're racist and you're terrible. Blah, 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 cancel you. Blah, 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 blah. But what do we learn from that? What does the person who said those things actually learn? How do they grow and expand? Now they're just afraid. They're just like, I'm not going to say anything at all. You know, everyone's afraid to speak, afraid to, to tip. To, you have to tiptoe around because you don't want to offend anybody. And I'm part of it. I have a microphone here. This is not a show that's listened to by millions and millions of people, but it's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads, which I'm really proud of, by the way. Thank you very much for listening. But I, too, worry about saying the wrong thing and being perceived as something that I'm not. I mean, even the fact that I wouldn't do Desi Arnaz's accent is because I don't want to offend any of my uh, Spanish, native Spanish speaker listeners. Because if I do an Australian accent and I, you know, throw another steak on the bobby, no one's going to be offended. That's not the best version. But if I do that, no one is offended. 
but there's race and racism. As soon as that's involved, it's a tricky situation. It's just different. I'm not one of those people that's like, well, why do there have to be double standards? I mean, if if you're going to do one thing for this group, you have to do the same thing for that group. No, that's actually not true because, and here's an example, take the show or the, the musical Hamilton. They did what's called blind casting. They cast all these different black actors and roles of people, real life people, you know, historical figures that were white. And they cast, it was written by a Latino man. And I've only seen part of the show, but they didn't just, you know, have the roles played by the races that these people actually were. They mixed it up and said, it doesn't matter. All that matters is these people can sing and dance. And it became a huge hit. But at the same time, people are like, well, if you made a musical that was like black pe or white people playing black people or a musical that's all about white people and didn't have black people in it, that's not fair. And again, you can complain about a double standard, but the truth is the reason why we had to do blind casting, I say we like I was in any way involved, but whatever was because if you look at musicals, they tend to star people of the Caucasian persuasion only. I mean, think of musicals. I used to watch them growing up. There's Oliver, there's Camelot, there's Wicked, there's, I mean, it's show after show after show. And you can name a little, like The Wiz is the only black musical that I had ever heard of growing up. And then Hamilton is multicultural. I mean, Rent was multicultural and that was a surprise. And these are all just musicals for those of you who don't listen or watch musicals. Those are really popular Broadway musicals. Annie, you know, The Wizard of Oz, all of these things. And by the way, if you've never seen or heard of The Wiz, Google it and watch it. Do yourself a favor. It's basically a black version of The Wizard of Oz. Amazing music starring Michael Jackson and Diana Ross and some other people you've probably never heard of, Nipsey Russell which that's the guy's name. There was a, a rapper who called himself Ipsy Russell. It was after that guy, I believe. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous musical that most people haven't heard of. Why? Because it was an all-star black cast. So you can talk about double standards, but when it comes, in my opinion, when it comes to race, that needs to be thrown out because all things are not equal. You know, I, I listened, I stopped listening to this particular radio show, but they were like, well, if you can have all black musicals, why can't you have all white musicals? I'm like, I just named a dozen or half a dozen of them because that's what our country did for decades. You know, I, I was listening to this podcast, which is really good. If you guys want to hear another, if I may say so, really good podcast. I mean, this is like, you know, highly expensive, like paid for producers, all the stuff that I don't have that I will have someday. But it's called The Daily. It is so interesting. And they were talking about how for decades, book publishers would only publish stories about white people. 
And most of the publishers and most of the editors were white people. And they would get these stories or somebody might say, hey, you know, what about um, other stories about black and brown or Asian people? It just always feels weird to call people yellow, even though somehow black and brown is okay. But yellow, it just feels weird. But that's why I said that. Um, And so all of these publishers, and I mean decades and decades and decades, would go, yeah, but in the nicest way possible, nobody really wants to read those kinds of stories. Most of the people who are buying books are white people and they don't want to hear about black people, maybe once in a while. And then Roots, which was a hugely successful book written by Alex Haley, all about slavery. And they made a TV show, a miniseries about it later on, like sold out. And there were little things and they're like, well, maybe the odd story here or there. And as time went on, no matter what black and brown and yellow people, again, yellow, would do, their stories would not be told. And they started doing research and they're like, oh, the people who buy books are mostly women with degrees. So they continued to promote um, white stories to white people. But while they were doing that, it turned out, and this is a fact, the, the number one group of people who have college degrees in this country are black women. Black women. We're the ones who are getting more college degrees than our white counterparts. So while they were focused on pushing out all these books by white authors for white people, they missed out on the fact that we black people also read books and that white people will read good stories no matter who they're about. And so even today, there's a still still a stigma and still a lot of challenges in the publishing industry. But they've started to get black editors and black publishers and really tried to turn things around. Because for the most part, people just want to read good stories, whoever they're about, Native American, black, gay, straight, whatever. Sure, there's some people who are like, I'm not interested in reading this, or I'm not interested in reading that. But most of us just want a good story. And I bring that up because all things are not equal. We're going to have biases. We're going to have our prejudices. We're going to have all of these things that we think or do or experience that isn't always based in racism. It is a racist act to say, you know what? I'm not going to publish these um, these authors because they're black and I don't wanna publish black people. They're stupid, they're lazy, they're this or that, forget it. It's prejudicial to say, black people, mm, nobody really wants to know your stories. And it ends up being a racist act, but the intent was not from hatred. And if you focus on people's intent, I believe, then that's where the change is. Because if you said to book publisher A, you know, the one that said, yeah, I just, I just don't think that white people or the population at, at, at large really wants to read stories about black people. If you're like, you're racist, you know, paint you with a broad stroke, start yelling, I'm going to boycott, I'm going to pick it you won't really get a change. Now, there's no guarantee that you will anyway. But if you really find a way for those people to understand, you, you throw statistics at them. And that's what happened. That's when the change happened. Because at the end of the day, book publishers are about making the almighty dollar. 
that green back. So they don't care who reads their books as long as they are being read. It's important to understand people's intent. And that's lost in our society today. I mean, if you look at politicians, some of the garbage that comes out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth, and she is, she, I think she's a congresswoman. I always get it mixed up, but she's a congresswoman <clears throat> out of Georgia. And the only reason she got into her position was because she ran unopposed. Let me just real quick take a side note and tell you how dumb this woman is. I saw a speech of hers the other day online, and she was talking about the fact that Biden just passed this whole, the, uh, I don't, I don't want to mess it up, the Inflation Something Act. I can't remember exactly what it's called. But part of that act was putting money towards uh, climate change and wind and solar and, you know, new energy sources and all that stuff, which I personally think is great because it will lower the cost of energy and it will save energy. If you get wind, you know, you do the windmill and you get wind from the windmill, um, which creates energy, it's almost unlimited in certain places. So anyway, Marjorie Taylor Greene, this horrible, horrible woman. If you don't know who she is, you can Google her and just, oh, she's just, she, I think, is an opportunist. I don't know what's in her heart. She says racist things. I believe she probably is racist, but maybe she's not. But for sure, she's an opportunist. So anyway, she was giving this speech and she said, she starts out, I, I'm paraphrasing, but she says, um, well, this part she actually says, and I quote, how many of you like air conditioning? And it's a it's a room, of, I don't know, maybe 40, 50 people max. I don't even think it was that many people. And they're all like, yeah, Marjorie, yeah. Like, who's going to say they don't like air conditioning? She's like, it's so hot in here. I mean, doesn't everybody like air conditioning? Let's give it up for air conditioning. I like air conditioning. I'm like, where is she going with this? I like air conditioning so much. I like, you know, I like my lights on. I like to get up in the morning and turn on my lights and maybe I go to bed at 1130 and I can watch TV. She's like, I would hate to have to go to bed at dusk because I won't have any electricity with this ridiculous climate change stuff that Biden just passed. And I'm like beside myself because what she's basically saying is, oh, if we you know, find a way to have new energy. Somehow we're going to have to live by candlelight and there won't be enough energy to have light after dusk, which is completely moronic because nobody wants that. So it couldn't even like be voted into action. It's just mind boggling. But I mention this because I, I look at what she says and I look at what she does and I can go, okay, I think this woman is a racist. Again, I don't know what's in her heart, but I'm judging her by her actions, the things she votes on, the things she votes against, the things she votes for, and the things that come out of her mouth. Those are actions. But just saying something, whether it's like what Bob Hope said, or something your neighbor says, or your coworker, as uncomfortable as those things are, and I hate them, I can promise you I hate them. Here's another example of one. Um, 
It's story time. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened to me years ago. And I don't think I brought this up on the show, but forgive me if I have, but I don't think so. Something that happened years ago that to me kind of proves the point I'm trying to make. Okay. But before I do, a little business, always got to do the business. If you like the show, please click those stars, leave the written review. I ask every week all the time and it just, you know, doesn't really happen. I've seen a few that happen by some very nice Big Brother fans, but the rest of you, come on, help a sister out. Leave that written review. It really helps people decide to listen the show, listen to the show and it helps them find it because the more reviews you have, the more Apple will push your show for people to notice. Um, so I would greatly appreciate it and share the show that is a great way to help me out as well. If you want to write the show, big time small talk podcast at gmail.com or find me on my socials at Jody Rollins on Instagram. Be sure to check out my Instagram stories. That's the most up to date information about the show and what's going on and pictures and videos and all kinds of fun stuff. Or Twitter at Jody's Box. I talk politics and Big Brother and some other things too, but mostly those two things, other reality TV shows as well. So, if you want to keep in touch with the show that way, those are the ways you can do it. If you want to leave a voice message, I love hearing from you guys. Just click the link in the show notes so you can do that. And sometimes I play them on the show. So I'm trying to speed that whole thing up as I say it because I'm like, I listen back to the show and I'm like, man, that went on forever. I would just fast forward it if I were listening. So that's how you stay in touch with the show. Please share the show and... Um, shoot me a follow on social media. Okay, so story time. So here's an example of bias versus prejudice. And it was my interpretation of something that happened to me that I could easily have thought, um, well, I take it back. It's prejudice slash bias versus racism. I could have easily thought what I'm about to tell you. Those people are racist. They're bad. They're terrible. And this is back in the 90s. So there was no cancel culture. There was no social media etc, etc, etc. So as you guys know, if you've been listening for however many episodes, I've talked about this before, I waited tables off and on for like 25 years while I was pursuing my acting and talk radio and all, all, all the creative stuff that I did. And I worked in fine dining, very expensive restaurants, which was great money. And um, when I was living in New York City, we would get a lot of older people, you know, old money. And I waited on this couple and they were very nice. And they said that it's sort of this buzz term that a lot of black people in my position will hear, well, you know, wow, thank you so much. Your service is great. And they asked me a few questions. And then they said, you're just so articulate. Now, that's a like thorn in a lot of black people's side, because generally speaking, and not always, but generally speaking, it was people who thought that you as a black person, me, should sound like I'm from the hood, you know, that I should have broken English and um, sound uneducated or Ebonics or whatever it was. And the fact that I air quotes sound like a white person, which I've heard my entire life, and I'll say it again, I'm like, I sound like my mom and I sound like my dad and they sounded like their, their parents, which are my grandparents. And that's how we sounded. They were raised in Virginia and then New York, and I grew up in New York and Colorado, and none of us lived in the inner city. So this is what we sound like. Anyway, so they said that, and it's just like, okay, that's fine. But they seemed very sweet. I'm just used to it. It's what happens. And when they left, they left me a really generous tip. 
And they went over to the maitre d' and they said, you know, we just want to tell you. And they were like, I want to say they were probably in their 70s and kind of not feeble, but elderly and little. Um, they said, we just want to tell you, we had excellent service, some of the best service we've ever had here. And we wanted to tell you that. And the maitre d' said, and he was one of the managers, he said, oh, who was it? So we can, you know, uh, take note of who your server was. And they said, you know, we don't remember her name, but she was that nice Negro girl over there. And they kind of pointed at me. And my maitre d' later on told me this. And I was like, he's like, oh, racist, huh? And I thought about it. And I, for me, and maybe it could be interpreted differently, but for me, I thought they were from a different time because here it is like 1994 and they're, if they're in their seventies, so let's just round out. So let's say 19, it's 1990. So 1990, 80, 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20. So they were born in like the 1920s, somewhere in there, maybe in maybe even a little bit earlier, which means they came of age in like the 30s and 40s, which was a very different time, a time when it made sense to say that nice Negro girl over there. And for me, again, this is my opinion. If somebody else has a different one that's black, that's their choice. I decided to say, what is the evidence here? What is in front of me? What did I learn from the time, the two hours that they ate at the restaurant or whatever? One, they were very nice. Two, they were very polite. Three, they seemed to have a bias saying, you're so articulate in, in a surprised way. And four, they left me a very generous tip. Five, they went up to the manager to tell them how good their service was. To me, that's not racist because you said that nice Negro girl, their intent was to give a compliment. Their actions gave me a generous tip. How they treated me was with kindness. That's what mattered. And yet today, our society will only focus on, well, they called her a Negro girl. Is it appropriate? No. But maybe they didn't get the memo. Maybe they slipped up. And now there's one faction of our society that says, well, they should have. It's not my responsibility to teach anybody about race or anything like that. They should know. Well, who's going to tell them? I mean, a lot of these elderly white people have other elderly white friends and hang around other white people and have white kids and nobody told them. Or if they did, it went in one ear and out the other. And again, in a perfect world, that would not be the case. But the way they treated me was with kindness and respect, not racist. And so if we start to just take a step back in this society, and really when someone is doing something racist or says something racist, yes, call them out on that. Be aware of that. You know, if there's a company that has a practice of not hiring certain races, that is racism and cannot be accepted. We can name a thousand different racist acts. I won't go into them. But if those things happen, yes, 
They're terrible. I've been on the other side of those things. I've been fired because I was black. I've been not hired because I was black. Not because I thought that kind of happened, because I know that it happened. I've been there. But now, in 2022, we are more divided as a nation than maybe we ever have been before. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, when slavery was abolished, abolished, maybe things were just as bad. Maybe not so. Maybe it was like just north south. I don't know. But at least in my lifetime and in modern history, this is the most divided we've been about politics, about race, about gender, about sexuality, about sexual persuasion, about pronouns, about climate, about lack of climate change, about, about, about everything. So if we can just take this one thing and find a way to come together, I mean, yes, that probably sounds very kumbaya, which I say that and I'm like, do people in their 20s know what that means? It was like a song in the 70s, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. And it was, I think it was, I don't even 100% know, but I think it was like this cult or these, these monks or somebody, I don't know, monks are silent, but they used to sing it in a, in a circle and sit crisscross applesauce, which was called something different back then. And it was all about peace and love and happiness. So when you say somebody's trying to be kumbaya, like, yes, I would love the world and this country to be kumbaya. That's never going to happen. But the majority of us in this lifetime are just regular folks doing the best that they can. Their heart is not filled with hatred. They don't hate anybody because they're black. They don't hate anybody because they're gay. They just want to live their lives. And sometimes they say the wrong things. And even sometimes they do the wrong things. But hopefully they make you know, a better choice next time or make the mistake that they made right and choose to learn from their mistakes and grow, even if it's sometimes reluctantly. I just think it's important to understand people's intent and what they meant versus what they said matters. I know that um, I did this episode, it was a while ago now, I think it was probably last year, about the Dave Chappelle show. And not the Dave Chappelle show, but he did a special on Netflix and he talked about transgender uh, people and he made a lot of jokes at their expense. Some of them, honestly, were not that funny, in my opinion. Some of them were cutting and some of them, again, in my opinion, were funny. Dave Chappelle likes to push the envelope and he's kind of a storyteller who's funny more so than just a straight, you know, stand up comedian. And for those of you who haven't seen the show, he does make a lot of jokes at the expense of the trans community. But at the end of the special, he talks about how he had worked with this trans individual. And she, um, I guess, I think he did a show and she said something in the audience to him. I don't remember all the details, but they end up becoming friends and very good friends and something happened i can't remember what i think she defended him on social media and the trans community turned against her like bullied her ruthlessly mercilessly and she ended up committing suicide which is just so sad and dave was heartbroken about this because they had formed a friendship 
and she had a child and um, Dave ended up putting some kind of scholarship or setting up a, a, a like a, what's it called? A, um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank where you set aside money for like your kids, a, a trust. He had set up something like a trust or something for the child. So the child would never have to worry about money or could have money for college. I don't know how much it was before this trans person's child now that they commit suicide. And it was really touching how he kind of ended the comedy show. It was about the pain he felt because of what happened to his friend. And to me, that's what mattered. It's those kind of stories that can take the audience on a journey to personal growth, or at least to think outside of their small little box that they may live in. They probably don't know any trans people and they may be very close-minded and then they watch this comedian and they might go, huh, they're people that hurt, that bleed, that laugh, that cry, that live just like all of us, just maybe made different choices or live in a different way or were born in a different way than the rest of us. I don't know. But I felt like there were lessons to be learned in his stand-up special. Again, I don't want to watch comedy where I'm the butt of the joke as a black person. Does it happen? Sure. But if there's a positive lesson at the end, I think I'm willing to go, okay, that stuff made me uncomfortable. I don't really like it. Maybe I'll never watch this comedian again. But I'd be happy if they kind of at least told an honest, heartfelt story about their experience with a black person, even though they spent the hour, you know, cracking jokes that may or may not have been funny. We as humans are not perfect. Like I said, some of the jokes that Dave cracked, I was like, oh, wow, that's like, it's just not funny to me. And some of them were. And I don't have a hatred bone in my body about trans people. But I mentioned and talked about this particular show on my episode, and that was what the episode was about. I even played clips from the show. And one of my listeners, I don't know if she still listens, wrote me an email saying she was very disappointed in my opinion about everything I said, that she had written Netflix saying that she, I think she canceled her Netflix and wrote to Netflix saying why or something along those lines. And that she, you know, was unhappy with the fact that I accepted his bigotry. And, you know, as somebody who does this so that people do listen, I don't ever want to lose a listener. But at the same time, I think it's important for people to speak their truth and to pay the, 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 pay the piper or pay the consequences. You know, he turned off a lot of people, Dave Chappelle did. And like I said, some of his jokes to me that were unfunny are a turn off to me too. But the bigger picture to me was the connections he's made with the audience about trans people that they may never have heard anywhere else. And that's a good thing because his intent was to share his love and compassion and caring for his friend whom at the end of the day, it didn't matter 
what she was. She was his friend and he loved her. And it was beautifully, it was beautifully told this story and it was touching. And art has a way of connecting people the way nothing else does. Whether it's stand up or podcasts or movies, music, poetry, you know, actual art that's paintings and, you know, the like, it can touch people and connect with people and tell a story and change people's minds in a way that yelling at people, calling them bigoted, racist, homophobe, homophobes never will. I mean, if that's what they are, calling them that, no problem. But shutting people off when there's a positive message there, I think is missing their intent and just going down the cancel route. Because some people just thought, oh my God, I heard he said all these terrible things about trans. I'm never even going to watch the show. And they missed this beautiful story. I don't fault people if that's what you choose. If you're like, look, I'm a trans person. I can't stand to hear this crap. I don't think that I would necessarily tune into a white comedian if he made all these jokes about black people. But some, I tune into some. Usually they're, I don't know, about who knows. But some of them I have tuned into. So I guess the takeaway for this episode to me is that it's easy to just paint people with a broad stroke and say, you are this. It takes no time to invest or investigate or try to connect with or learn from or teach anyone if you paint them with a broad stroke of bigotry and racism and homophobia. It's harder to go, maybe they just need a little nudge in a different direction. Maybe they need a conversation. Maybe they should watch this show. Maybe they need a different experience. And if they're willing, take them on that journey. Some people aren't willing. Oh, well, they're lost. But many people are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say anymore. I can't tell you how many of my friends say to me, Jody, I am like self-conscious. Like, I don't know what to call you. Are you black? Are you African-American? Like, and they make this sort of squinted eye face and they're like, sorry. And I get it. You know, I, I used to say like, okay, should I say Latino or Hispanic or Latina? Like, I honestly don't know. I live in a heavily populated area of Latinos, but I don't know if I'm saying the wrong thing. No one's corrected me, but I get like, I don't want to say the wrong thing either. You heard me with not wanting to say uh, a Spanish accent. Like all of us are tiptoeing around and that makes us more divided. That keeps us further away from each other because you go, forget it. I don't know what anybody wants to be called anymore. I don't get it. I'm not trying. Instead, if we really just reach outside of our little bias boxes, because we're all gonna have prejudgments about all kinds of things. Or if we reach out to those people who say the wrong thing with kindness and patience, that's where the growth is. That's where the changes happen over time. 
I was talking to my husband, who, as I've mentioned before, is of the Caucasian persuasion. And I thought to myself, how did people actually keep slaves? How did white people, I know it's a historic thing throughout the world, different races, different this, that, the other, but how in this country could you whip and sell and rape and make someone work for free and treat them worse than a dog? I cannot imagine how you like slept at night, but that was the thing that was accepted. And so the minute slavery was abolished, do you think that people were just like, well, done with my prejudice and my racism or this is, you know, everybody's equal. No, it took time. People had to experience black people in a different way and experience other cultures. That's how the changes happen. Cancel culture isn't going to get us anywhere. You staying in your corner because you're conservative and me in my corner because I'm more liberal. And I say more liberal because really and truly most of us are more in the center. Some people lean one way or another, but most of us are mostly in the center. But if we stay in our corners and we point our fingers and say, you are this and I am that and I am this and you are that, we will never, ever end this divide or at least try to seal or connect um, the divide that we have in America. We're just gonna go our separate ways. And that's kind of where we are right now and it's really unfortunate because I've lost friends who were Trump supporters because their actions that came from supporting Trump were not something I could have in my life. But then I also have my best friend who voted for Trump and her actions have been nothing but love and kindness, which is why we are still friends. It'd be very easy for me to go, nope, done, not, mm -mm. no Trump supporters. The same as it's very easy for someone to go, you voted for Biden, forget it, you liberal nut job. You don't know me. You don't know what I think, what I do, what I feel, why don't you ask? Why don't we have a conversation? Just a conversation. And stop believing just what trolls and what people say on the internet. That's become the news lately. Oh, well, according to this TikTok video, this is what people think. Okay, well, that's what 6,000 people think. 6,000 people is nothing in this country. Anyway, at the end of the day, I think we really need to remember that we all have prejudgments. And sometimes we need to check ourselves, but we don't need to be canceled. There will always be racism and hatred and bigotry and homophobia. And some people are unsalvageable. There's, they don't care. They don't wanna get any better. They don't wanna learn. They don't wanna grow. They don't wanna connect. Okay, we don't have to worry about them. But most people just want to get along with people and understand where they're coming from. And that's what I aim for. Am I perfect? Am I good at this? No. But I try and I do my best. And I check myself. I ask myself, do I need to eat at Chick-fil-A? I haven't been there in a while. And I don't know if I need to. But I don't fault somebody if they do. 
unless they're like going there because they hate gay people. Hatred's a really strong word and I take it seriously. So is racist. You better mean it and you better know it if you're calling somebody racist. It's a powerful word. And we, if we wield it around like willy nilly, then it loses its power. And then when somebody actually is, they can dismiss it. Oh, it's just woke nonsense. And that defeats the, the purpose in the first place. So there is a difference between prejudging and racism. Sometimes they both hurt, but the intent is what matters. That's what I think anyway. That's my story and I'm sticking to it.